Welcome to Reawakening Love and Power with Carol Ann. There's treasure for you in this conversation with Renee Hilliard if you are contemplating or going through a significant career transition, navigating health and wellness challenges, and where to get the care you need. Curious to hear the value of the mind-body approach from someone trained in the medical system, or interested in going beyond the baseline of surviving into thriving. In celebration of the one-year anniversary of this podcast, I'm offering a series of prizes if you review and or share this podcast by Valentine's Day this year, 2021. Prizes include a handwritten letter from me, a personalized audio practice to guide you to come home to your body and your sensual sexual nature, and a one-on-one pussy or body connection ritual with me. To enter and go into the draw, follow the link in the episode description or on my Instagram to let me know you've reviewed it or shared it. I talk about pussy a little too much to be able to speak and advertise freely on social media. So your shares and reviews really help to spread the word and help me and my guests to make a bigger impact. And if you prefer to watch these conversations, you can now find them on YouTube. Just search for Reawakening Love and Power with Carol Ann and you'll find it. Renee Hilliard is a certified intimacy and relationship coach. She transitioned to coaching after working as an OBGYN physician for 20 years. She takes a holistic approach to caring for people's mind, body, and spirit. A recovering perfectionist and people pleaser, she supports people now to live their best lives and find deeper intimacy with the powerful medicine of developing radical self-care, body awareness, self-knowledge, and cultivating pleasure. Renee, thank you so much for joining me today for a conversation. And I'm really curious to hear more about your perspective between the two worlds of traditional medicine and sex and relationship coaching. So I'm curious to hear to start maybe a little bit about how you made that transition between the two. First off, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. This is wonderful. Um, It didn't really come to me as one message that I wanted to transition from medicine as a gynecologist into sex and relationship coaching. It was more of a process for me. So over several years, um, I had become more dissatisfied with medicine. And even in my training, there were certain things about conventional Western medicine that didn't agree with me. And so I got little taps on the shoulder along the way that perhaps this wasn't where I wanted to be, but, you know, I I had gone through a lot of training um, to Mm -hmm. be where I was. And and there were certain things about the the career that were satisfying to me, Mm -hmm. but over time I felt a little bit constricted in how I could care for patients and I saw a lot of deficiencies in the, in the system. Mm-hmm. And I saw how there was a, a lack of a holistic approach to taking care of patients. Even when there was effort to do that, it just mm-hmm. felt like patient was compartmentalized into these different organ systems, but mm-hmm. nobody was really putting that together and taking care of the whole person, mm-hmm. um, mind, body, spirit. And so when I started going on an exploration myself and doing some healing for myself, I started realizing what kinds of things were lacking in conventional medicine. And I tried to incorporate some of those into my practice. Um, But as I went deeper and deeper into training in that realm, I realized that that's really what my calling was. And so I shifted Mm -hmm. over into that. What kinds of things were you wanting or were you kind of noticing missing from the realm of conventional medicine? Yeah, so even in training, there's not a lot of of respect of the body of a patient and particularly not respect of the body woman. You know, we're in Mm. a culture that doesn't respect a woman's body. And so even in a field like gynecology, where we dedicate our lives to taking care of women, the part about respecting the woman's body and 
um, you know, making sure that everything is, is, you know, leading with the respect of the body mm. is missing. Um, mm. And then in addition to that, the focus is really on, on illness and disease rather than pleasure when it comes to gynecology. Yeah. And most female gynecologists anyways, a lot of our practice is about helping women have more pleasure in their sexual experiences and those things, but we don't get a lot of training. A lot, most of that's done on our own. Mm -hmm. Um, and many times it's, it's something as, um, as, uh, simple as referring a patient to a book if they have issues rather than really going through a deep dive of what their specific issue is Mm -hmm. and how they can be best be helped or referring out to a a sex therapist or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I realize that there's, that the depth of knowledge is not there, um, Mm -hmm. for most gynecologists, um, unless they've gone on to, to get further training, like, like I have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also imagine as I hear, as I hear you describe that, and I know it would have been, you, you mentioned that there was a lot of training that got up to that point. Um, so much invested in that career that it must have been, a, I would imagine, a really strong conviction in you to lead you to decide to walk away from that and, and focus. I mean, of course, you still have all of the knowledge and that you built during medicine, I would imagine, but it's quite a significant shift. And I'm curious what the, the kind of, it also may be something that wouldn't, you wouldn't expect someone to do that. I'm, I'm curious if there were kind of other people's ideas about the transition that you were making and what was like that, the conviction or the, the courage that got you to make that change. Yeah, sure. So even going into medicine in the first place, a lot of times it doesn't feel like it's only your decision that you're making. You know, Mm -hmm. you have, you have in mind what the culture thinks of the profession, you know, so because it's revered, you know, there's part of your mind that's, you know, Oh, if I do this, then I'll be successful or Mm -hmm. I'll be thought of in a certain way in society. So that factors in your decision to go into medicine many times. Um, for, for a lot of us. Um, in addition to that, I've come from a medical family. So mm-hmm. I'm a third generation doctor. My parents are both physicians. My grandfather was, and then many of my cousins, my sister. So wow. knowing, knowing myself outside of the identity of being medical in a medical family, that was tough to even, you know, I, I didn't get exposed to a lot more than medicine when I was growing up. Um, and then in addition to that, you know, medicine, the choice to become a doctor generally pleases our parents. Yeah. You know, most parents are happy about that and they'll brag about the fact that their doc- daughter is com- becoming a doctor. Yes. So there was some of that, that, you know, there's a uh, pleasing the family, pleasing the parents yeah. aspect to it. Um, and then, you know, like you mentioned, there's a lot of time and effort that went into the training. And, and in a lot of ways, I'm proud of what I mm. did as a, as a physician. You know, I, I became trained in robotic surgery, which Mm. not a lot of women go into. Mm. Um, And I was a very good surgeon. And my patients would reflect, you know, to me, you know, that they they felt that I was a good physician. So Mm. there's an aspect of, am I letting my patients down? Am I letting Mm. the community down if I step away from this? And so it was a difficult decision for many of those reasons. And I really had to look at not only what I was losing by stepping away from it, but what I potentially could be gaining by Mm -hmm. stepping into the new field. And what I felt that I was gaining was being able to work with patients on a much deeper level and make a much more profound change in their psyche and, you know, Mm -hmm. and having them or, or leading them to be able to know their bodies at a much more intimate level. And also with relationships, you know, repair, love wounds and and teach them to communicate better with their partners mm-hmm. potentially sparing their relationships all these kinds of things and when i started working with clients around those kinds of issues the um the response that i got was so profound that mm-hmm. it just it was so hard to ignore that you know that that's where my calling was yeah. um and so as difficult as it was to put the other to rest, I had already kind of 
stepped away from certain aspects of it. I stopped delivering babies about two years before I stopped medicine altogether because the demands with the schedule mm-hmm. had gotten to the point where I didn't feel like I could take care of myself well and do that at the same time. And so that was a difficult decision, but I had stopped that and I survived it. Yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah. I realized that I hadn't slept well in 20 years, but then once I was mm. able to, you know, start caring for myself better, I felt so much better. And then um, I had started doing some other little things like aesthetic medicine, which was fun. I like working with my hands, but it wasn't lighting me up in the way that that sex and relationship coaching was and so it wasn't that difficult at that point to step away from it because I had let go of the part that I really enjoyed the most which was was taking care of mothers and babies that that was really you know a delight in my life for many Mm -hmm. years but then it was just such a demand on my on my time and and just physically my my body took a toll from Mm -hmm. doing that for so many years Mm -hmm. I hear a lot in there that, um, you know, some sometimes when we think in, in the aftermath, it looks like Renee was a doctor and now she is a sex and relationship coach. But when we look at big transitions like that, um, it's not like, you know, you wake up one day like this and you wake up the next day and it's all changed either, is it? It's, I hear how it, it takes time. Like it, there was a period of, um, and some of this is mirrored in, some of it is mirrored in my own journey of leaving engineering, but that things just start to become a little bit less satisfying and they don't fit so much anymore. And you start to really realize that I don't know if I like the way that things are done here, or I don't know if this really is a fit for me. And that kind of the energy of that not fitting grows and starts to propel you to um, seek other things. So maybe I, I heard you sharing about kind of seeking your own growth and healing and training and pleasure elsewhere. Um, and for me, when I was in engineering, I also became a yoga teacher and that kind of got, was the, one of the first things that got me into my body. Um and then that opened up a whole new world. But there's, and then I also heard you say that it was like the joy and the fulfillment of what was coming from the, the beautiful work that you were doing with people in their relationships and their sexuality. That was motivating and, and gave you a real boost and energy in and of itself. Does that, does that sound, did I describe that accurately to your experience? Yeah. And one, one thing that you just said, uh, you know, when you said that as an engineer, you started doing the yoga training for myself, I realized that a lot of what was missing in medicine was care of the caretaker. You know, it's a demanding Mm. profession. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of stress, you know, you have terrible events that happen and there's this idea that you must always be strong and that, Mm. you know, you shouldn't be affected by these, you know, horrible things that have happened you have to diagnose horrific conditions for people yeah. or you know, there's loss all sorts of stuff yeah. so or mis- you know just that the reality that we make mistakes sometimes and mm-hmm. there's not a lot of space in medicine for any error being made even though we're human and we make errors and we hopefully don't make a lot of them but I don't know of anybody who's never made an error yeah but there's an expectation that not only do we never make an error but we can cure every condition which is not achievable Mm. and I started to realize that 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 demand that I never make a mistake and I I, you Mm. pick up on every little you know small detail and be able to diagnose something without complete information and work crazy hours and see patients for only a few minutes and, you know, just perform perfectly. Mm -hmm. I realized that the system was broken in a lot of ways. And when I had a lot of stress from events that would happen that that nobody was reaching out to see if I was okay. And there was no Mm -hmm. real, you know, um, system in place where, you know, when this happens, we refer to this group of people that can help the caretaker, you know, get well after something tragic happens. Um, It's almost as though we're not supposed to be human and we're supposed to Mm. just push through and, Mm. and that took a toll on me. And, Mm. you know, when you start, start having a lot of stress and anxiety, 
you feel like something's maybe wrong with you. So that's when I yeah. started looking into some of our alternative therapies. I started doing acupuncture, hypnosis, those kinds of things, um, energy healing. Yeah. Um, because a lot of the treatments for anxiety, I couldn't take because I was working at night, you know, was, mm. I would have to wake up at three o'clock in the morning, go in and deliver a baby. So I, I couldn't take anxiety medicine, nor did I want to. So I mm-hmm. said, what are some other things I can do? I started doing yoga more, um, exercising more and those kinds of things. And I realized how much it helped me relieve my stress and anxiety. Um, mm. but then also I realized that although I knew a lot about the female reproductive system and all, all that, there was a lack of knowledge about pleasure in, mm-hmm. in my case, particularly getting out of my own head because I yeah. was so stuck in my brain all the time. Um, you know, my brain was king. And so it was hard to yeah. let go. And yeah. I realized that was a problem for me. So I, I started, you know, digging around, trying to figure out how somebody could learn to surrender. I started salsa dancing, ah, <laughs> which helped actually. Um, but, but then some of the sex um, coaching programs out there, I, I, I looked at, at different things to see if I could help myself. And then I found the, um, the sex, love and relationship coaching program that we both went through. Yeah, um, yeah. And I realized that that really was what I wanted to be doing for patients. Yeah. I can yeah. see it on your face too, that there's a brightness when you talk about that. Yeah. Mm. And I also hear too, that um, sometimes when you're feeling, when say somebody is stressed, having a hard time with, sexuality with relationships with their health sometimes what you need is to to take care of yourself better to sleep better to to do embodiment practices or things like that but sometimes it's also you're in a structure that's broken or that's not designed to support you and that structure needs to change it's kind of like it's not all on the person and it's not all on the the circumstances either it's kind of both yeah yeah for sure and in just western medicine in general you know there's there's still a lot of sexism in that Mm. world there's still a lot of racism in that world unfortunately i'm a black woman Mm. um and so going through the training process going through um you know, building a practice, all that stuff. There's a lot of things that happen mm. behind the scenes that I don't know that most people know about. That mm. I don't know of another woman that went through training with me that didn't get inappropriately touched at work. Mm. Um, just horrible things are said to you. And there's, and even if you were to complain about it, you get ostracized. Mm. Um, and it's one of the last worlds like that, that there's no repercussion for you know, bad behavior. And so Mm. just seeing some of those things and um, just even witnessing them, but experiencing them myself and and you're kind of taught to just, you know, brush past it. Oh no, I'm, you know, I'm tough. I can handle this stuff. And this is just a man's world. And, you know, this is what you have to go through to to be in this world to play. But, um, but I didn't really adequately take care of myself when those things were happening. So it was a lot of that was piled on top of the kind of care that I was having to deliver and, and the stress of that. And, and there were, like I said, there are wonderful things in there too. There's not mm-hmm. many people in the world who can say they've saved lives, you know, like mm-hmm. that part of it is, is, you know, sexy and exciting and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Or, you know, when, you know, there's a, the excitement of having an emergency and taking care of mm-hmm. it well, mm-hmm. and, you know, just seeing everything come out. Okay. That, that, you know, and everybody's relieved at the end of the day and you look mm-hmm. like the hero, you know, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of ego tied up in the profession itself, you know, like mm-hmm. it does make you feel good when you can do these things for people. And, and, you know, some of it is my gifts, you know, I'm a, I'm a good surgeon and I consider mm-hmm. myself a good surgeon. So there's, there's things that are actually gifts that were given to me that, you know, when I'm in flow, I can do in that space and help people get better. And I felt like that was my calling in a certain sense, but then it got to the point where I felt like there was another thing calling me. And so it felt like it was time to shift to that. And I don't regret having done that. And, you know, I, I run into people all the time that, their eyes light up and they want to give me a hug and I'm like, it's COVID, you know, next day back. (laughs) It makes me, it makes me feel good that I've had a big impact on a lot of people's lives and, Mm. you know, and 
help build families and mm-hmm. help people through difficult times in their lives, illness, yeah. and those kinds of things. And yeah. and there is a there is a, a lot of satisfaction that comes from having cared for people in that way that I don't think a lot of people ever feel in life. You know, that it's mm-hmm. you know people people who take care of a loved one who's you know ill. Mm-hmm. can understand that that it's it's a labor of love you are exhausted and stressed most of the time but you're happy to do it so I felt that way about it much of the time but then also I had to kind of look at the fact that I was you know I was aging I was going through menopause myself and you know we only have so much time on the mm-hmm. earth and and mm-hmm. I could see that my body was deteriorating in a way that you know was more rapid than I would have liked and, and it was partly because I didn't have the time or the energy to care for myself the way I wanted to. And yeah. so I had to put myself in the equation and, and really realize that, you know, it's time to shift into taking care of myself better too. So. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And it, yeah, I hear that too, that it's, th- things are very rarely only good or only bad they're often just this like tapestry of things that are joyful and painful and supportive and unsupportive and scary and exciting and um often our minds try to to reduce it to one or the other was it a good thing or was it a bad thing but the truth is much richer than that and i i always try to resist that oversimplification and really stay with the the context and the nuance. Mm. Mm. So I'm curious to hear more about what was it? I, I kind of imagine that coming from this situation where you were working so hard and not, you know, in a, a, a job that didn't enable you to take full care of your body. Um, was it like coming back to life when you started uh, working with your own sexuality and, and your body below the head? Yeah. And, and the funny thing is even with just the sleep changes that, you know, from stopping doing obstetrics, I thought that there were things related to aging that were just because of lack of sleep. So just recovering from my sleep was a huge improvement in my health. But then when I started doing the sexual practices too, I realized that my energy was depleted um, in, in I, I, I never would have said I was an energetically depleted person. You know, I just, mm-hmm. you know, duty called. So I just would step to do all the things, but, um, but I realized that, you know, I had the afternoon slump going on mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Um, and on the weekends, if I didn't have work to do, I generally didn't want to do much. I, you know, I just sit on the couch and cause I just didn't have the energy to do a whole lot of stuff. Um, and so starting with the sexual practices, I realized that it improved my energy in a way that I didn't expect it to necessarily. Mm -hmm. Um, And then just, you know, being able to connect more deeply with partners, that was, was a big deal to me too. And Mm -hmm. and I, I wouldn't have never necessarily said that things were terrible for me or, you know, I just was suffering. So it wasn't like that, but it just, Felt like it shifted to a whole new reality where I was like, oh, this is why they write songs about sex. I was like, I thought they were just making that up or something. (laughs) So it just improved it where it was like, this is night and day. Like, you know, there's no question here that that's better than what I was experiencing before. And then when I would hear other people, you know, talk about their sexual issues, I would realize that they were in my old reality probably that you know something Mm -hmm. similar to that Mm -hmm. and they didn't even know there was anything better to experience you know Mm -hmm. it was it was that kind of thing so Mm -hmm. um so I love helping people transition from oh things are fine to oh my god (laughs) you know (laughs) I'm sure you're familiar with that transition that you can take people through (laughs) yeah yeah I think just my my focus is really on helping people to feel at home in their bodies and their their sensual sexual nature, like that sense of home and a sense of I'm comfortable here. This is a natural part of who I am, and and um, 
I just feel like the the culture and the society that we live in is not designed for us to live at our full healthy capacity in terms of sexuality. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and so it's, yeah, it, it is really exciting when someone starts to reconnect and and feel good in their bodies or for me it's my clients too it's a lot of like releasing shame releasing disgust and and just owning that in my own body it just feels like there's a much greater sense of ease and um it just feels natural it's not that it's like always perfect but there's like a sense of um of freedom too like things are not so bound up Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sounds a little bit abstract, but that the the feeling is that I can kind of let my body move and do its thing. Yeah. And and that the coming back to that that trust and respect for for your body that you mentioned as well. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I like that the way you put it, the feeling of being at home in the body. Mm-hmm. Um that I'm familiar with that feeling, you know, that it felt like a transition into that too, that Mm -hmm. I feel at home in this body instead of rejecting this body or checking out of this body and, you know, trying to think of what else I have to do after or how the other person's feeling. It's about, you know, what this body's feeling like. Um, And then with the shame and the disgust and all that stuff, I, I had a pretty positive, you know, feeling about, you know, I'm, I was a gynecologist, so I had a pretty mm-hmm. positive feeling about the female body, but I didn't realize how much shame and guilt and disgust and all that kind of stuff I absorbed just from being in the culture. You know, mm-hmm. I, I tell people like you swim in the pool, you're going to get wet. So mm-hmm. even if you didn't, didn't feel like you brought, you know, were brought up in a household that was negative or mm-hmm. had a lot of religious conditioning around sexuality, or even thought of yourself as being negative towards it, there are so many messages that we get from advertising to parents to, you know, clergy yeah. to yeah. whatever that the movies that you pick up on that. And even partners, you know, sometimes women will try to own their body and, and <clears throat> work with their partners in a way that's pleasurable to them and then get the big, you know, like, mm. I know what I'm doing, you know? And oh, so just, yeah. just um, helping people become more comfortable with, you know, owning that they can ask for what they need and Mm -hmm. if if it's a no-go then they don't have to stay there (laughs) you know that that I I feel like that helps to empower people so much too to to realize that that they are the owner of their body that people cannot touch their body without their permission even if in the middle of sex you want to stop Mm. you get to stop like you know those kinds of things that Mm. doesn't occur to a lot of women like Mm. oh I already committed to it I gotta finish it out you know Mm. And uh, yeah, and that feels powerful to be able to help people yeah. work around those. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's no small feat to, to number one, like learn the language of your body. Like when is your body telling you, no, I want to stop? When is your body telling you, oh, I want to go do that. I want to try it this way. Or when is your body um, to kind of, especially if you've been been living kind of from the neck up in the head or, or not, not really paying attention to your body except for oh, I'm hungry. I have to use the bathroom. Um, oh, and there's some pain there. I can't think about that. That's uncomfortable. Um, to actually start to pay attention to the, the language of your body. When is it contracting? When is it expanding? When is there like what, when your body says no to something, what's the signature of that in your body? It might be different yeah. for different people. Um, but yeah, what feels good? How does your body like to be touched? Because some, um, I really like, like really light, gentle strokes on my on my skin a lot of the time. But my partner hates it. He calls it creep touch. <laughs> so so <laughs> like, do I. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think it's creepy too. <laughs> That's so funny. My my partner likes to to do the soft touch, and I'm like, I want like I want like firmer touch. This yeah. creeps me out. Like I don't know what. It's so funny. It's so funny. It feels like like little baby mice walking on my body. <laughs> I want no part of that. <laughs> You can keep your baby mice. That's disgusting. It's so personal though, right? It is. It is. And and that is why you need, I think you need that kind of having that sense of comfort in your own body. And there's, when you are um, engaging with another person or people to have a level of, of comfort to be able to communicate about those things is so helpful. Um, yeah. And I, I, I mean, and I, I think I hear this from you as well, that one of the reasons that I love this work so much is that I feel like it is such a deep human desire to feel good in our bodies and to have truly intimate relationships where we can see and be seen and and share ourselves with each other in the ways that we deeply desire to like that is all so so deep and and primal and essential and so helping people to to create that in their lives just feels like really powerful important work to me yeah yeah and one of the the you know going back to the the deficiencies, if you will, I don't know, that's a strong word, but one of the challenges in Western medicine is that we don't get that kind of training as much as we probably did, uh, you know, 100, 200 years ago, because they didn't have as many procedures and medicines and all this uh-huh. other stuff that we end up pushing nowadays. We didn't have the, the technology and, you know, the computer at the bedside doing this. Yeah. So we missed out on a lot of the bedside manner training, which mm-hmm. I think is, is one of the biggest benefits to seeing a practitioner is being seen, being heard, all that stuff. And most of us yeah. in this day and age know the feeling of going to a doctor and they don't even look up at you mm-hmm. or acknowledge what you said, don't notice you know mm-hmm. anything about you. And you're just the diagnosis in room four and just, you know, here's the prescription, you know, they don't even properly greet you. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I feel like I was, I was good at that be- probably because I went with my parents to work a lot of times. And mm-hmm. so I grew up with, you know, witnessing older doctors and how they were, you know, conducting themselves. Um, but just because I cared about people too. Um, and just simple things like acknowledging what people are wearing or, or, Mm -hmm. you know, talking about their kids and stuff like that would bring their anxiety level down. Mm -hmm. You know, you see Mm -hmm. that people come into a medical space anxious, you know, everybody Mm -hmm. comes in there anxious. And so if you can alleviate their anxiety really quickly by just, you know, seeing them as a human instead Mm -hmm. of, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, what seems to be the problem, you know, just, (laughs) and, and I, you know, I've been taught since, going through the coaching development, you know, how important it is to Mm -hmm. see and acknowledge somebody to, you know, just your loving presence is healing. And I I felt Mm -hmm. that in the other world, but the the world didn't feel like it was designed for that. You know, Mm -hmm. the visits were Mm -hmm. so short, it was hard to, you know, even especially taking care of older patients. Sometimes it takes the length of the visit just to help them disrobe or whatever. And Mm -hmm. and you don't have a lot of time to get to what's going on with them. they don't process as quickly. And so mm-hmm. the pace was difficult to, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't feel like I was doing everybody a, a great service sometimes because I had, because, you know, that's just the way it, it's built that you had patients stacked one, one after the other. And if you mm-hmm. had to deliver bad news or somebody was suffering with something, mm-hmm. you didn't have a lot of time with them. Um, and, and either you end up running late all the time, or sometimes I would call patients after work. If I, if, they had some kind of challenge going on and I didn't have a lot of time. I would say, here, I'll give you a call later and finish this up. But it just felt like I was shortchanging people a lot. And I didn't like mm. that feeling. Mm. Um, yeah. And um, I actually tried moving to a different kind of a model where I had longer visits with patients. And I, I basically ended up 
coaching them, you know, doing sex mm-hmm. coaching with them and then mm-hmm. doing a very little bit of medical care. <laughs> and I said, well, if I'm doing, if I'm doing this, I might as well just go ahead and transition <laughs> over because clearly that's what I want to do. <laughs> might as well own it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm. So how do you, how do you know, or how, how can people kind of start to sort out when they're experiencing something that say it's a, a lower libido than they want, or they're experiencing dryness or they're experiencing pain or they're um, having a hard time connecting sexually with their partner or those sorts of things, even fertility challenges, sorting out, or, or navigating when is kind of physical level medical treatment going to be supportive and when is there actually something deeper going on that's tied into that, that maybe someone like a, a sex coach or a therapist or another practitioner could help with. Yeah, there, there definitely is a lot of, of crossover between the different fields of practice. Um, and it's not a one size fits all thing. So, you know, if, if somebody's experiencing symptoms that are worrisome, say they have heavy bleeding or, uh, you know, pain that concerns them, I would say see a medical provider first and get checked out, make sure everything's okay. Um, same thing with, you know, if, if they had some kind of vaginal condition that was, you know, concerning that they, they might have an infection or something like that, I would say definitely see a, a practitioner and see what's going on there. But if things like low libido, it's it's very nuanced, you know, so mm-hmm. even having experienced waves of, of it myself, there's different kinds of low libido. And, you know, sometimes people have a, a idea that it's all hormone related. It's not necessarily, you know, sometimes hormone levels look fine and hormone levels, there's a big wide range of normal. So Mm -hmm. many times it can look fine on paper, but you know, many times a provider will look at that and say, Oh, you're fine. And everything looks good on, on paper. But if you're experiencing it and haven't gotten a satisfactory answer, then it would be time in my opinion to seek care elsewhere. And what that looks like is up to a, a person, you know, some, some people are more comfortable with therapy, conventional therapy. Some people are more conventional with what we do with with sex coaching and that kind of stuff. But um, just the choice is there for people Mm -hmm. to, to, you know, uh, look at whatever modality they think would help them best. Um, One thing um, that I've done a lot is support people through other treatments. So if somebody's going through fertility challenges, a lot of times there can be a lot of shame around the condition Mm -hmm. itself a lot of resentment if it's their partner that's experiencing issues with their, you know, reproductive system or something that is um, creating a situation where the patient has to now go through treatments. Mm -hmm. Um, There's, there's a lot of, you know, wounding around that and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, people, even though they want to go through the process, sometimes become resentful of their partner or Mm -hmm. fearful because of financial concerns and those Mm -hmm. kinds of things. But sometimes just because of the demands of having to have sex at certain times Mm. that kills libido. So, Mm -hmm. you know, just assuming that it would be related to hormones is not necessarily so there may be some other issue going on with people. And then, um, you know, pregnancy and after pregnancy, having small children, that can be really challenging, you know, big transitions like that can be challenging Mm -hmm. for people. Um, Even, um, so with, with pain with intercourse, a lot of people have seen a practitioner because they're worried something is mm-hmm. physically wrong. And because the provider can't find something physically wrong, they say everything's fine, which mm-hmm. if the person's kind of invalidating, yeah, yeah. invalidating their, their issues. So I have worked with people who have had pain with intercourse and we've worked with, you know, you know, de-arming the spot or mm-hmm. other things that can help to, to um, alleviate the pain and pretty, pretty easy to do you know it's, mm-hmm. it takes a couple of sessions to get through those kinds of things uh, many times not all the time but um but just honoring that that just because we can't find anything with a lab test or an exam doesn't mean that there's nothing wrong um mm-hmm. and i 
I feel like when I was practicing medicine, I, you know, when patients would come and say, I know my body, something's wrong. They did the test, you know, and they say everything's fine. I don't need much more evidence than the fact that you think that something's wrong with your body Mm -hmm. to either investigate further or look for some other modality that can help whatever you're going through, even if I don't have the expertise to do it. You know, I I, um, used to refer patients to alternative therapies if there was nothing that we could find within the container of, you know, Western medicine, if there was no test that we could, you know, use to evaluate what was going on, I would send people out to see other alternative Mm -hmm. therapists just because I knew that, you know, just because this is the extent of my knowledge doesn't mean that there's nothing Mm -hmm. else out there that could help you. So, um, yeah. 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 That makes a lot of sense. Um, there's, I think there's a role for, for both, but that there is, I think so much, there's a, a so much deeper connection between our body and our mind and our emotions than we realize. Right. Yeah. And even in my own body, just noticing kind of, um, I would say from the neck down, actually, I have another story about that in a minute, but say I'm feeling anxious about something and noticing that maybe there is a tension in my chest and my shoulders are curling in, like that's a pretty clear connection between what I'm thinking or feeling and what's happening in my body. I also realized relatively recently, actually, that for a long time, because I was so focused on getting out of my head, when I would focus on my body, I would focus from my neck down. But then I I did a practice and someone was guiding us to release tension through our face. And I was like, oh my God, my face is my body too. <laughs> I kind of had like written it off because it was attached to my head. And I was like, oh, there's all of this like stuff happening between my brows and in my eyes and in my cheeks. And I definitely... Um, notice a lot happening in my jaw that's definitely one of my telltale signs in the body but i don't i think it's important for people to feel that if they feel like something's not right with their body or that they want to feel want to feel more pleasure or more joy in their relationships or more even just more relaxed and rested in their bodies that that is, that's all very possible and they deserve it. And they can, it's not like asking for something unreasonable. Um, It's all something that is kind of part of our natural blueprint of health in a sense. Yeah. 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 I think our, our bar sometimes is so low. Yeah. medicine it's like we just want to get the person where they're not like heading for the grave or something (laughs) there's so much above you know just surviving Mm -hmm. that can be achieved by going into the body and doing some of the the embodiment practices and like you said even just being aware of anything below the neck down is for a foreign concept to a lot of people Mm -hmm. um you know because our culture is just you know brain is king and yeah and (laughs) everything else kind of gets lost in that whole thing even for myself i mean when you when you talked about unless we have to eat or or use the bathroom but being a surgeon you can't even go to the bathroom when you want to so a lot of times i would just hold it and even right after the surgery you'd have other things to do so you just rush around Mm -hmm. and you know three or four hours later i get around to it i'm like that's like that's a shame that i can't even use the toilet yeah i want to (laughs) how crazy is that you know that's pretty crazy we and I'm sure like bus drivers can relate to that too yeah (laughs) but but to build a world where you can't even Mm. respect your body enough to use the bathroom or eat or you know drink water when you need to is pretty silly that yeah where basic bodily needs are negotiable right Mm. yeah and with the nervous system just how much everything is interconnected mm-hmm. um, that, that people say, I don't know if this is in my mind or if it's mm-hmm. in my body. I'm like, 
there, there's no space between those two things. Yeah. They're actually this, they're, yeah. they're one unit, you know, yeah. the, that the spirit, the spiritual, the body, the, the mind, all of it's interconnected. So I wouldn't parcel it out that way. You know, we're just yeah. taught to do that. Like, oh, yeah. this is probably all in my mind or yeah. I'm just making this up. It's like, well, I mean, isn't it all made up? <laughs> I mean, if you go <laughs> part of all of our whole reality is how we perceive it. So, mm. and if you're suffering, you know, mm. does it really matter whether mm. it's something that we can measure with a tool or if it's mm-hmm. just something else? I don't know, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What are some of your favorite personal practices in the realms of sexuality and embodiment? Yeah. Um, the things I do the most often are probably dance. I, I, I'll take dance breaks in the middle of the day just to energize myself, which is, it, it, it's actually not new. When I, <laughs> when I would do um, surgeries, a lot of times I would have good music on in the room. And as we were, you know, preparing the patient or whatever, I would kind of dance around the room or do my own little thing. They thought mm-hmm. I was a weirdo, but, <laughs> <laughs> but um, um, in, I always had music playing at my desk or not always, but many times I'd have play, music playing at my desk. Music's very important to me to relax me. So, mm-hmm. um, or if I had to um, go between different, places I would have music in the car and that would kind of be my little dance break in the middle of the day. But I do that now that I'm um, working from home, I'll, I'll turn on music and dance. Um, uh, I do breast massage in the shower. Most of the time I haven't done it recently, but that's just kind of a go-to that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I do a lot of breath work. I do mm-hmm. breathing practices probably every day, um, mm-hmm. at least for a few minutes um, just to feel more in my body and make sure I'm taking deep breaths and, mm-hmm. and just, you know, feeling for any tension in my body and trying to, to relax that I'll do those mm-hmm. kinds of things. Um, I go for walks in nature every day. And then I usually end up doing some kind of walking meditation or, or yeah. sunning practice where I, you know, like I, I close my eyes and look into the sun and then, you know, just feel the energy moving through my body, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty simple stuff. Um, I'll do like hip circles, you know, just kind of loosen up. I have, I have a lot of tension in my low back and yeah. hips. So I'll do hip circles and stretches and things like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. How about you? What do you like to do? It's interesting. Cause I think with, through the training that we did, we learned lots of different practices and some of them with lots of different involved steps, but the ones that I keep coming back to are the simple ones. And I'm finding that it's good to have the the range to work with for different situations, but I'm finding with my clients as well that simple stuff that you can integrate easily into your day makes a big difference. Um, for me, like I, I just like put my hands on my own body a lot. Like mm-hmm. I run my hands up and down my legs. I hold a hand over kind of the, just between my collarbones and my sternum in this spot in my chest, or I kind of like rub mm-hmm. circles there. Yeah. I rub circles on my belly or hold my belly. I've had, I was a bit um, bloated one day at the farmer's market and was just kind of like rubbing my belly because it felt nice. And somebody asked me if I was pregnant. <laughs> I was like, it's true. nope, it but- just feels good. <laughs> yeah. When you said that I, I, I do a lot of stomach massage and, you know, I, I'll do some pressure point kind of stuff around my navel and I do that in public now. And I don't think I did a couple of years ago. <laughs> and it, and I just now realized when you said that, that's not a normal I mean, <laughs> cultural, cultural, widely accepted culturally to sit there and rub your stomach. But I do it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might be in danger of somebody asking me if I'm pregnant, even though I'm menopausal too. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, yeah. It is funny, isn't it? Like the I think especially like the the conditioning around women and bellies is pretty intense. So I think a lot of women try to like just not call attention to that part of themselves. But right, yeah. Yeah, but for me it is it's that that self-touch just feels really good I run my hands through my hair mm-hmm. um and I I love 
even just kind of like getting on my hands and knees and and doing hip circles and letting my spine roll around, just giving my body space to move with its own impulses Mm -hmm. without, without going like, I will do cat and now I will do cow and now I will do cat and now I will, but kind of just like (laughs) letting it be random and um, wherever there is tension, when I let my body lead, it can kind of start to work itself out. Um, Yeah. I like breast massage as well. That's a really lovely one. I think sounding is one of my other favorites, like feeling the sensations in my body and making sounds on the exhale that I find really helps to move things. And it almost feels like a way of honoring what I'm feeling by using my voice. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that too. Yeah. I realized I do, I do touch my body a lot. You know, sometimes yeah. I'll kind of comfort myself like this or rock. Um, yeah. Yes. So I, I notice that I have a habit of sitting off to one side sometimes. So I'll find my center, you know, I, people, people look at me strangely at a party or something. Cause I'm doing a lot of this kind of stuff mm-hmm. when they're like, what's <laughs> going on over there? I'm not much. <laughs> just, just stretching myself out. Yeah. yeah. I sway back I and do. forth a lot. Do you, I'm like yeah. a human pendulum. <laughs> oh, me- no, it's a metronome. It's a metronome. I think, you know, the, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I do body scan quite a bit too, just because I do tend to, you know, just revert back into my old ways <laughs> into thinking. Um, and so if I've been writing for a while, I notice that my shoulders are up near my ears or something and I'll sit and kind of scan my whole body and see if I can release any tension anywhere in the body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just feel like even a little bit looser, and softer in my body as we've been talking about this, letting my spine swirl around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I just really want to honor that we as human beings have all of these different layers. And that, like you were saying, the the physical layer of the body and the nervous system and the emotions and the mind, they're not like um, individual pieces that you could separate out into distinct clumps of tissue. They're like mm-hmm. all, all interwoven and all interrelated in one, one organism and one being. And there's something about weaving all of that back together that feels really good to me yeah yeah and i i think that's the biggest awareness both for myself that if i ignore my body to be in my brain and take care of patients in the way that i was you know made to or if I care for the patient, you know, just as a compartment, you know, looking at one mm-hmm. system instead of the whole body mm-hmm. and also looking at the psychosocial aspects of their life and their nervous system and all their conditioning and all their childhood experiences, mm-hmm. you do, do both of yourselves a disservice. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, in the new realm, just being able to care for people so much deeper because you're honoring all those different layers of themselves and yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, you, you know, if you're, you know, there was a book I read years ago, like <clears throat> um, Dr. Heal Thyself First or something like that. I can't remember the exact title, but when I do that, when I come to the interchange in a better space, when I'm cared for well, I know that I have more to offer a person mm-hmm. and I'm more mm-hmm. observant about what's going on with them. I can you know, I can feel their energy more yeah. than if I'm stressed and not well rested. And my, you know, just even things like my intuition, which I knew was strong, but it's not something that's spoken in a medical world. Yeah. You know, they don't talk on that level. Yeah. But I knew that I was like, hmm, I don't know why, but there's something telling me the something's up with this person. And more times than not, I would 
find something crazy going on that I wouldn't have expected, but I just knew there was some little tap on my shoulder. Hey, mm-hmm. something's going on with her. And, you know, people would be surprised. Like, mm-hmm. why did you even order that test? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to try to <laughs> claim responsibility for that. But I, my intuition, my intuition is strong, but to honor it and develop it in a way that is in service to myself and the person I'm caring for yeah. in an even stronger way. It just feels so good yeah. to me that I feel like my whole self is being used as the vehicle yeah. instead of just my mind, just my mind. I, yeah. You know, yeah. Not yeah. that my mind, I mean, I have a beautiful mind and I love yeah. my mind and it's part of me, but yeah. <laughs> I want it, it to be a more complete picture and, mm-hmm. and that's more enriching to me. And, you know, the experience I can deliver is much deeper than that. Yeah. Yeah bring that back into balance and it's interesting even adding in intuition in into that interweaving of all of the different parts of us I like to think of intuition too as ways that we have of receiving and perceiving information other than just our kind of regular senses like they I don't know exactly how it works, but I think that there are ways of, that our body kind of integrates and, and collects and information and gives us information that we um, we don't even completely understand. So we can't necessarily name it. It's not like I had this thought and this thought and I put them together, but my body is also an antenna. I picked up on something. And you were talking about... Um, you're talking before as well about the quality of being with another person and just now about how um, how you are in yourself makes a difference for the people who are with you. And I think that's another really important aspect in that we are social creatures. We are meant to, we're designed to need each other. We're designed to have relationships with each other and and live in in communities. Um, I think remembering that helps a lot with the healing, especially when the the wounds and the challenges we have were created in relationship, then relationship is a beautiful place to bring some healing to them. And I, I think the idea of independence is it's sold to women more than it is to men too. You know, like I don't know of a man who prides himself on being independent, mm-hmm. you know, most powerful men pride themselves on having a bunch of people who support them. And, mm-hmm. you know, if I have an entourage and I have people that are mm-hmm. <clears throat> working with me, um, those kinds of things, but women get sold that, being an independent woman is a thing to be that makes us strong. And I had to learn myself just, I think I had some trust wounds <clears throat> around connecting with people sometimes. And, you know, I, I was, I was a very trusting person early on. And then, you know, you have ruptures with friendships or relationships or what have you that make you a little bit more contracted and less mm-hmm. trusting of others. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I, you know, I just was kind of hypervigilant and maybe I shouldn't, share too much with this person or that person. So I had surface friendships or not real deep friendships. Mm-hmm. A lot of times I, a few like sprinkled throughout my life, but um, I realized how much healing I could get from connecting with people on a deeper level. But also with, like you said, the, the wounding comes a lot of times from relationships, um, you know, from childhood relationships with caregivers mm-hmm. or adult relationships or friendships or what have you mm-hmm. and healing really does have to take a place in that space you know you can mm-hmm. feel well and just be off by yourself like a hermit or something but, <laughs> but the, ne- the next time you come in contact with the human which we all need mm-hmm. you're to have some of those some of those wounds flare up unless you yeah. do the deep healing work that you need to to, yeah. to resolve those things yeah yeah, yeah. it's it feels like a blessing and a curse sometimes that we need each mm-hmm. other <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I would love to hear a little bit about how people can find you, how they can work with you, what you love to to do with people. And then I've got one more question for you after that. Sure. Yeah. So if 
if people go to my website, which is reneehilliard.com, um, they can uh, book a free chat with me. So I like to meet with people for a few minutes just to make sure that what they're coming to see me for is something I can help them with. I don't want anybody to come to me if, if it's not something I genuinely can help them with and just get to know each other and see if it's a good fit. So that's a, that's a free service I offer is just a, a consultation and a chat with me just to see if it's an appropriate um, fit. Um, and um, I have an Instagram account. I'm, a, I'm of an age where <laughs> I'm not, you know, consistently on there, but I do, I do go on there from time to time. And that's Renee Hilliard, MD. Um, uh, and um, people can email me at, at Dr. Renee at Renee Hilliard.com as well. If they, if they have any questions or, or what have you. And you work mostly one-on-one or and with couples? Do you work with men or mostly with women? I mostly work with women. Um, that's that's generally who seeks me out the most. Um, but I, I'm happy to work with men as well. I've had I've had male clients as well, um, and I'm happy to work with with um, individuals or couples. So um, if people feel like like it's something that they want to. Mm-hmm. do with their partner I'm happy to see them and then if they want to do it as an individual that's fine too awesome and what kinds of things are people usually going through when they come to see you yeah so a lot of times people seek me out when they have sexual issues that are becoming enough of a problem that they think that their relationship may end um so that that is a common theme with with people that I, I coach, but um, they don't have to be in a relationship. It could be people who are struggling to find conscious partnerships or, or just struggling with their sexuality mm-hmm. themselves, you know, from conditioning, from religion or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, I do tend to attract professional women who have a hard time getting out of their head, you know, mm-hmm. because <laughs> coaching a lot of times. Funny how that works. <laughs> yeah, isn't that, isn't that funny? Um, but I can really help them well because I've done that same thing yeah. myself. Um, uh, people who are transitioning careers, a lot of times we'll see yeah. out too because of, of my transition there. Um, and uh, people pleasers, um, perfectionists, that's, that's kind of my jam. <laughs> <laughs> um, letting go yes. control. <laughs> yes. Surrender. Oh. oh, man. I call myself a recovering people pleaser. <laughs> yeah. Same. Yeah. <laughs> So my last question for you is if there was one thing that you would love people to take away from this conversation, what would you like them to really have like held deeply in themselves? That's a good question. I, I really want people to, to feel permission to thrive and I say that for myself, you know, when I was, when I was in a career that sometimes we'll feel locked into, you know, you've done so much career development and spent so much time, you kind of feel locked in there, but you're doing okay. And, and, you know, most people would say, why would you change? But I get to thrive, you know, thriving is the bar I'm reaching for, not just getting by or doing okay. And same thing with the the people I coach. I really want to impart upon people that, um, you deserve to thrive, you know, you're worthy of thriving. That's what the point of being here is, is is to have a joyful life that feels good to you. Mm -hmm. And it's not too big of an ask, you know, I think a lot of us say, well, everybody else is suffering too. And, and suffering is part of the human condition, but in relationships, if you have, you know, issues with whatever you're going through, there are ways to smooth those out so that you can have deeper intimacy and connection with your partner and peace in your relationship in a way that, that you may be struggling with. And you know, most people don't think about, you know, athletic coaching as being mm-hmm. shameful to reach out for <laughs> help with those kinds of things or dietary coaching or, you know, other things, a business coach, if you, if you're struggling to get your business going, but a lot of times people do have some shame around reaching out for, for assistance or support 
mm-hmm. in the in the areas of sex and relationships. They think they should be able to figure it out themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And I did that for many years myself. You know, I, I went through relationships and had struggles and tried to figure it all out myself, self-help books and masking people around me and what I should do. <laughs> but there's a, a depth that you can get to in, you know, helping yourself through some really deep wounds that may have been incurred early in life mm-hmm. or even you know before that mm-hmm. um that it's it's challenging to do that on your on your own you know it's mm-hmm. challenging to do that soul level work on your own mm-hmm. um without somebody holding you and I I couldn't do it myself I really mm-hmm. needed that support and it's not that I'm not a smart person or I don't have a lot of resources it's just deep work requires sometimes um somebody you know to be there to support you and it's it, you know it's it's not week to reach out for that kind of support if you need it or if you feel like you want it yeah yeah yes to all of that Mm. yeah Mm. I think I would love people to leave with a sense that 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 sense of all of the different elements of their being their body their mind their emotions their energy Um, that they're all part of one organism and one being and that there may be different different avenues for support that that could be useful. Like in some cases, seeing a doctor is going to be what you need. And in some cases seeing a sex coach is going to be what you need. And in some cases, building a beautiful network of friendships around you is going to be what you need, but really allowing there, trusting that you are worthy of having all of those different forms of support in your life. And like you said, you don't have to settle for things being barely okay or not even that okay mm-hmm. a ticket from two people who did some fairly significant career shifts I wouldn't say that mine was quite as significant as yours but in terms of like the nature of what I was doing before to the nature of what I'm doing now quite different <laughs> big difference yeah 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 mm-hmm. so thank you so much for for bringing your your wisdom and your energy and your voice and sharing that with us today, Renee. Yeah, thank you for sharing this space with me. I really enjoyed this conversation. It brings me great pleasure to imagine you out there listening to Reawakening Love and Power with Carol Ann. You can connect with Renee on her website, ReneeHilliard.com, and on Instagram at ReneeHilliardMD. Or contact her by email at Dr. Renee, that's D-R Renee, at ReneeHilliard.com. All those links are in the episode description for easy reference. If you're curious about working with me in my homecoming coaching program to come home to your body and your sensual sexual nature in a gentle and trauma-aware way, you can book a free one-hour clarity call. It's a no-pressure conversation where we explore what it is you really want and if it's in alignment for us to work together. Find more info and book in on my website at carolann.com.au and you can also connect to me on Instagram as at carolannalive. Don't forget to review and share this podcast then submit your entry for a chance to win. I would love to share these prizes with you. May this episode offer you clarity on where to look for the support you need and be a big fat permission slip for you to not just survive, but thrive.